Thank you. You may be seated. Well, as you know, and as we have said, today is a day in which we are trying to recognize our graduates, and I wanted to just comment a little bit, even as you reach for your Bible and turn to Psalm 84, where we will glance for a moment and then get your notes ready to go. Let me comment on just a couple things. Um, One is, as you reach for your notes, you might find that the margin was off, and so the edge is cut off on some of the words. That is not a reflection upon the work of the office around here. It is completely and entirely the work of the pastor. And uh, I decided that I would just appeal to your grace and not rerun them. And uh, so hopefully that doesn't bother you too much. But that's the answer to some of you who have sloppy notes today. I don't think it'll take away from your ability to follow along as a listening guide for the sermon. But I wanted to make sure no one thought ill of our office in any way uh, based upon the condition of the notes today. Secondly, I wanted to comment about our schedule for our summer pulpit. Um, I'm going to be taking a little bit of a break here for the month of June. I am so thankful to have Dr. Jim Shupi as part of our ministry. You know that he retired here for the purpose of teaching God's Word. And when he came, he said, I don't want to lead, I just want to teach the Word. And so what a blessing it's been for us to have, uh, for all practical purposes, an in-resident teaching pastor who's here in our area. And Jim has taught two to four times a week for the last three years here and has just, um, we are the beneficiaries of the outpouring of his life of Bible study, his gift of teaching. Jim is going to pick up Matthew where we will continue this wonderful gospel uh, where we've had this extended series in the gospel of Matthew. And he's going to pick it up in chapters 21, get into chapter 22. We have some just some fascinating parables of our Lord that will be unfolded there. Um, and he will be preaching then the last three Sundays of the month of June. I wanted to comment um, while he's not here. I was able to do this in the early service and then now in this service. Um, but on the third Sunday of, of his preaching series, the fourth Sunday of June, three weeks from today, I guess, um, I've asked the elders for permission for our ushers to have the offering baskets out that you would have opportunity to give a love gift to Jim Shupi and bless Jim and Martha in a special way, specifically for his ongoing teaching ministry of the Word here. He's a retired pastor. He doesn't have a huge pension plan. Uh, they do have a comfortable home, and, um, but um, most of the time he's preaching just as a ministry to the church. And I thought that if you had time and opportunity, you might want to bless him in a special way. So on the 25th, I believe it is, I should have double-checked the dates, that final Sunday in June, the offering baskets will be out. Will you remember that? We might try to sneak out an email um, late in that week um, to remind you to be prepared for that. But will you bless Jim for his teaching of the Word? That's biblical. And it's biblical that those who teach the Word regularly would have double honor, and we want to elevate him. I did twist his arm and talk him into serving on the elder board these last three years. And uh, that doesn't bring near as much joy to his heart as teaching the word does. But we have benefited from him being at our elder table as well. So I just wanted to give you a little word on that and a little heads up as we uh, begin our message time today. Well, life is filled with decisions, isn't it? Um, Just decision after decision after decision. In fact, as I was thinking about this, I took my pen and a scrap piece of paper, and as quickly as I could write a list, I I was able to write down just as fast as I could think of them, um, 
observations or personal decisions I've had to make or observations that I've seen in our congregation or those who've had to come to me for counsel on how to make the right decision. What is the right decision? What is God's will for my life? All these choices. I don't even have time to list them all. There must have been 20 Um, But a few would be um, recognizing that some in our congregation have had job interview opportunities even in multiple states. And now, all of a sudden, uh, various opportunities have come up and they have to choose now between two different jobs, two different states to relocate. What is God's will? Which job should I take? They're both excellent opportunities. We've had folks in our church who are working on relocating some uh, because of work, trying to be more strategically located to work. Others trying to be more strategically located here in proximity to the church. They've had to decide to put their homes up for sale and then to buy, to rent, to buy property, to build. Who should our builder be? What is God's will in the matter? All of our high school young people and even some of our college students who were here, um, they are asked that question that they become a little bit weary of, and that is, what are you doing next? What are you going to do with the rest of your life? And, And some of them admittedly just don't know. It's hard to know. What is God's will for my life? I just wanted to focus on our young people today, and I want to invite all of you to listen in. I think that the message is relevant for all of us of all ages, but particularly, I am speaking pointedly to the young people today as a charge and a challenge to our graduates. These young people are at a time in their life where so many formative decisions will be made that will impact and affect the entire course and direction of their lives. Boy likes girl. Girl likes boy. That's God's plan. That's good. Maybe this one's for real. Maybe that's my wife or my husband. How do I know? Is this God's time? Do we go on a faster pace down that road? Or do we wait? What do we do? Or how about girl longs to meet boy. Can't find boy. Boy longs to meet girl. Can't find girl. Time is ticking. The years go by. God, have you forgotten me? What is your will for my life? So many decisions and choices. And wouldn't you agree with me that we live in a world that has changed a bit from Pa and Ma Ingalls out in Little House on the Prairie? Now, they had decisions to make. Don't don't get me wrong. Should I get up the first time the rooster crows or the third time the rooster crows? Should I milk from the right side of the cow or the left side of the cow? The cow will have something to say about that. Do I start plowing from that end of the field or this end of the field? I mean, these are important decisions. They had all kinds of decisions to make. But don't you think that with the compression of time and with the, with the, uh, the avalanche of electronics and, and instantaneous media, we are bombarded in our world today uh, all day long of our waking hours of just decisions, decisions, decisions. We live in, in a world where high-end marketing agencies making big money are paid to, to, to promote ads to help us become very, very dissatisfied with what we have so that we will like what they have, so that we will have to decide, should we buy, should we sell, should we keep, should we change, should we transfer? Life is filled with decisions. And so this morning, I want us to take our Bibles and just do a topical study on knowing God's will for my life. But even as we begin, let's bounce off of Psalm 84, verses 10 through 12. 
These are wonderful verses that every young person and old person should underline in their Bible and even memorize. But I want you to see that there are choices and that there is a way of blessing. You see, I know and I recognize that the will of God, as I've stated in the opening remarks on the notes, that the will of God for many people is often troubling, it is mysterious, and can be difficult to discern. But I want you to know that God is not trying to hide information from you. God is not trying to confuse you. And God is certainly not trying to hold back his best from you. And even more than that, young people, listen closely to me. As you are challenged this morning to commit your life completely to Christ, know that Jesus is not out to ruin your good times. He is out to bless you. And the way of blessing is the way that leads to a life of no regret. Let's look at Psalm 84 for a moment. It says, the psalmist wrote there, For one day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Do you see choices and decisions right there? Am I going to have a bent towards the house of the Lord and the ways of God to the degree that I would rather worship God for one day than be a thousand years or a thousand days somewhere else without being focused upon God? One day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be even a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Where wickedness rules and reigns is all around us. And like, like Lot of old, he had to decide which direction he's going to pitch his tent. And he pitched his tent towards Sodom. The next thing you know, he's living in Sodom. And he says, the psalmist says, I would rather just be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God, here's a a great statement, young people. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield, and the Lord bestows favor and honor, and no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. There it is. God is not out to ruin your good times. God is out to bless you. And God wants you to be a success. And God wants you to live a life of no regrets. And he wants you to walk in his truth. O Lord of hosts, the psalmist concludes, blessed or happy, content, fulfilled, satisfied, blessed is the one who trusts in you. There is part of the formula for a life well lived, young people. It is to focus on God's way, to make decisions that please God, that are based upon his word, and not following the ways of the world that is trying so hard to press you into its mold. Well, if you're using the notes as a listening guide this morning, I've divided it into two parts. And the first is really setting the stage for an understanding of how we are to view God's will when we approach our Bibles. And you need to know that a topic like this is very difficult to hold within a 33-minute period or whatever I had left when I got up here. We'll pretty much disregard that probably here in a few minutes. It's a little bit like the topic of prayer that we've been on for the last few weeks. You start entering into this subject and one question leads to another and one topic leads to another and and you realize that, that this is just a huge topic with all kinds of issues and angles. So I'd like to simplify it a little bit and summarize and really in many ways an oversimplification. But I want you to think with me about the will of God when we approach the word of God as being categorized into four areas. There are four categories of God's will. The first is God's sovereign will. And sovereign being in control, uh, being over and above all things. 
Okay, nothing is able to foil God's sovereign plan. You need to note, as I put in the notes, that it is largely hidden. It is largely hidden. It is largely unknown to us what God has planned in his sovereign overriding plan of the ages. This is, and we'll bump into this in a, in a minute as we expand upon each of these points with a principle. This is my brother completing his senior year of Bible college and finding out that he has acute lymphatic leukemia. And 11 months later, we bury him in the sand in a little cemetery under an oak tree in southern Michigan. And you say to yourself, what in the world was that about? How is that God's plan? And you only can say God is sovereign. It means that it's hidden. It means that I cannot understand it. And it means that God is in control and nothing can foil his plan. There's a number of verses in the Bible. I'll challenge you to read um, most of them. Or why don't you just um, make a point to look them up. But these are verses that say, My ways are not your ways, saith the Lord. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And I can use calamity and I can use uh, calm days for my plan and my pleasure. He talks about, I appoint kings and by me kings rule. He talks about in Proverbs, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord and he is sovereign. There is no king, no government, no billionaire, no president, no terrorist who can foil or confuse or confound God's plan. He is sovereign. And you need to understand that when we pick up our Bibles, one of the threads or themes of Scripture that runs throughout is that God is absolutely sovereignly in control of this world and He has a plan and His plan is unfolding. And as Galatians 4.4 4 says, even when it was time for Christ to come, it was just at the right time when He sent His Son Jesus into the world. So know that. Know that when we're dealing with thinking about God's will, we have to have a handle on God's sovereignty. Secondly, and this is, this is a huge topic right here, and you have to commit yourself to a lifelong study of this, but the second part is God's moral will. God's moral will. Sometimes we call this His revealed will. But God has a moral will. God has told us what is right and what is wrong. And by the way, this is really the emphasis of all of Scripture. So when you pick up your Bible, one of the things you're studying when you read is you are studying the moral will of God. What does God say is right? And what does God say is wrong? And that's how we know what is right to think about and what is right to believe in and what is right to act upon. Because God has gone to an extensive point of writing down how he wants us to live. Exodus 20 is the, is the most concise example of this. That's where the Ten Commandments are listed. And an example would be, he has said, thou shalt not steal. All right, And so you could almost say, although we're to pray without ceasing, so it's not theologically or biblically correct to say, don't even pray about it, but you don't even have to pray about it. It's never God's will for you to steal. It's never God's will for you to steal your neighbor's chainsaw out of his garage when he's preaching in the pulpit. You just don't do that. It's not God's will. It's not God's will for you young people to steal answers off of your neighbor's paper when you're taking an exam and the teacher turns his back. It's, you don't have to pray about it. You don't have to think about it. God already told you what to think about it. You don't do it. And that's his moral will. And he has absolutes. And he has told us exactly what he thinks about these things. Thirdly, and this is the part that, though it's not, as, it's not nearly as extensive in Scripture, 
It is exemplified in Scripture. You see, the moral will of God is, is, is what much of Scripture is about. But this is the part that all young people and even old people, people of all ages, are particularly interested in this third part of God's will, and that is God's personal will. All right, God, what are you going to do with my life? If you have a plan for my life, let's unfold it. Please show it to me. Here I am. And we see testimony of this throughout Scripture, don't we? I don't know where Noah was one day, but all of a sudden it says he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That spoke of his righteous life. But God communicated to him in no uncertain terms, Noah, I want you to build a boat. And for the next 100, 120 years of his life, Noah built a boat. By the way, you can go with our 55 Alivers this July and go see a boat just about like that, that they've built, Ken Ham has built out in near Covington, Kentucky. It's a wonderful model and a wonderful vacation point. I'd encourage you to take time to take that in sometime as a family. I mean, think about, think about Saul of Tarsus, a missionary of destruction, killing and hating Christians in the church in Christ. And one day God knocks him down on the road to Damascus and says, Saul... You are now my man. I have a plan for your life. It is a personal plan. Nobody else is going to live out this plan. It's going to be my plan for you. And it begins with a new name, Paul. And by the way, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's a little bit about how it happens in our lives. You're walking down the road one day, and you think you're a pretty tough Saul kind of guy, and all of a sudden you're convicted of your sin. All of a sudden you realize that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin. All of a sudden you realize that you better get to the foot of that cross as fast as you can before you are overwhelmed by the holiness of God, condemned for eternity in judgment. And you recognize that you don't have it all together and you recognize that you are a sinner and you recognize that the only place you can take care of that sin is at the cross where the blood of Jesus Christ flowed and covered all sin, where he substituted into your place so that you do not have to stand condemned for your sin, but he paid the price for your sin. And then very much like Saul got a new name, you get a new name, you become a new creation in Christ and God has a plan for your life that unfolds then as his child. And if you don't know Jesus, Christ is your Savior, a lot about this message doesn't apply to you. You need to know Christ as your Savior. That's the starting point. And know that you're born again and that you're, you're standing just before the Lord and that He is your Heavenly Father and you are His child and you are a forgiven, redeemed, justified, blood-bought, born-again Christian. And now let's watch God's plan unfold in your life. And you have a new name written down in glory as well. It's like the Saul turned to Paul. And that's God's personal plan. But the thing about this is, it's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. This is, who do I marry? This is, where do I go to college? This is, what do I do for a career? This is, do we buy a house or rent a house? These are big decisions. It also bleeds into the fourth category, which is God's will for daily decisions. God's will for daily decisions. Sometimes the line is blurred between God's personal will for my life and daily choices because the sum total of my daily choices often leads to what God has in store for me personally. And so you got to understand that um, this is where I take biblical wisdom 
And I take biblical principles and I apply it to my life and I learn to think with a spirit of wisdom and I learn to have a sensitivity to the spirit of God leading in my life. And I wake up in the morning and I hope you do this and, and I say, Lord, I don't know what today's going to hold, but you do. You are sovereign. And Lord, would you help me not to violate your moral will today? And Lord, would you, would you just show me throughout the day today how to think and how to speak and the choices and, all of the information that will bombard me today help me to have the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in all of this. So there's our four categories. God's sovereign will, God's moral will, God's personal will, and then God's will for my daily choices. Now what I want to do is I want to use the rest of our minutes, and you have to listen closely, and I want to encourage our young people to recognize that they're, uh, by sharing one principle with each of those four categories of God's will that you can help yourself live a life that when you look back someday will say that was a life well lived or your children and grandchildren would gather around your gravesite and say oh pap I want to be like pap he lived a life with no regrets it's a life well lived because he lived out God's will and plan of blessing for his life. So here we go. Each of these points will correspond with each of the categories of God's will. So letter A, principle number one, has to do with God's sovereign will. And it is this, young people and all people, let the knowledge of God's sovereign will bring great security to your life. You see, life is going to be filled with things that you know nothing of and that are outside of your control. And we see this all around us. Doctors look at us and say, you have cancer. We're ready to announce a, uh, at a gender reveal party that we're going to have another baby, and we find out that day there is no heartbeat. What's going on? Let the sovereignty of God bring a security to you. Because we cannot control all of the circumstances of our lives. But know this, because God is sovereign, God is in control. Romans 8.28 says that all things do work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Listen, in a greater, broader way on the continuum of all of history, all things are working together for good for God's plan. And even every day in your life, wherever you live and wherever you go, as you love the Lord, walk with the Lord and are committed to him, he brings about his plan in your life for good. There's lots of questions that can come up along this line. And, uh, for example, I had a, uh, a young woman that I knew who was um, maturing and even getting to the place where she was at an age that if she didn't get married soon, she would be beyond what was reasonable for having children. And she longed to be married. She was a godly woman. She was questioning, what's going on here? And this individual was an outstanding musician and pianist, and she had spent her undergrad and graduate years largely committed to piano performance to the degree that when many of her friends were out at ball games and out at pizza, getting pizza, and hanging out in the, in the lounges, she was 
isolated in a practice room practicing the piano. And now when you're 39 years old and you still haven't found your husband, you look back and you say to yourself, maybe one of those nights I was supposed to go out for pizza and not be in the practice room practicing my piano and I missed the person that God had for my life. What do I do? You know, that's nonsense. God is sovereign. You take security and comfort. You didn't miss God's will because you didn't go to Pizza Hut one night with your friends and because you were practicing the piano. And I can give personal testimony to the fact that God in his sovereignty is completely capable of getting one of those guys from the pizza shop off the soccer field to go hang out down by a practice room if he's supposed to be in your life. That happens. God knows how to get guys to go down by the piano practice room and find girls that are practicing the piano. It happens. He's sovereign over this. So don't let that rock your boat with doubt and second guessing. And man, if I, if I had been a cashier at Walmart instead of a stockroom guy, cashier, I'd have been out with the people. I'd have probably found me a wife by now. God is sovereign over these things. We have biblical examples of this. One is in Genesis 50 verse 20, and it's the story of Joseph. And by the way, young people, I would encourage you to get your Bibles out this week and reread the story of Joseph. It begins at Genesis 39. It really goes all the way through the rest of the chapter. It's interrupted by some R-rated stories. Now you'll read your Bible this week. And, and it, it's Genesis 39 through 50, and it's interspersed with a few other incredible stories But is Joseph exhibit A or what on someone who had no idea what the overriding plan of God was when he was living it out? And he gets beat up and tossed in a pit and sold into slavery in Egypt. How does he know that God is strategically placing him to save the world and to model as a type of Christ, a redeemer? How does he know when he's sitting in a dark dungeon for up to about four years, I think, George Michael will tell you after church how long he was in the dungeon. He's sitting there in the dungeon, and it's cold, and it's nasty, and it stinks, and it's dangerous. What is God doing? What is God doing? I'm wasting my life. No, you're not. You're being strategically positioned to be exactly where God wants you to be on a certain day when his plan is going to burst forth, and you're going to understand with hindsight what you cannot understand with foresight. And in the end, he tells his brothers and gives testimony, Genesis 50, verse 20, what God, basically my paraphrase, what man meant for evil, God meant for good. Now listen, let me say something because I probably um, am not going to get back to this part and our time is essentially gone. If you'll listen a few more minutes, I'll finish. But I want to say something that I think is very important. And it is this, because you need to know that the will of God always starts brand new for my life right now. The will of God always starts brand new for my life right now. You see, what I'm talking about is somebody who, we're going to talk now about the moral principle here. The biblical model of Job is there as well. Look that up where he lost everything, his kids and everything. And he bows down in worship and he says, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That is how committed to the sovereign will of God you need to be. But on letter B, we need to commit to knowing and obeying God's moral will. And what I wanted to make clear was that some of us are 
are in a bad spot because we have disobeyed the moral will of God and we have grown angry with the sovereign will of God and we have made choices that are far outside of the will of God, you still can be assured that God in his sovereignty out of the ashes of your life can rebuild and the will of God for your life always starts brand new right now. Well, let's look at principle number two on the moral will of God, and I'm going to move along here. Commit to knowing and obeying God's moral will. Young people, principle number one, let the knowledge of God's sovereign will bring great security to your life. If you're committed to God and you're humble in your heart and you're walking with Him, you cannot mess up your life. Number two, commit to knowing and obeying God's moral will. Now, here's where you can mess up your life. And this is the part that I was saying that much of the theme of Scripture is about God's moral will. What this means is, number one, is that God has spoken and it is written down teaching us what to believe and how to live. What to believe and how to live. He's written it down. There are numerous biblical examples and I wanted us to look up a few of these. The ones that I listed under number two there, Romans 12, Ephesians 5, 1 Thessalonians and 1 Peter, all use the word will of God in it. They use the word will of God. For example, the 1 Thessalonians 4 text And this is God's will, it says. Hey, there's no misunderstanding yet. Right? You want to know God's will? Here's what it says. This is God's will, that you should be holy, that you should be sanctified, that you should learn to control your body. Not in passionate lust like the heathen. That's God's will. So listen to me. Everybody's concerned about principle number three here, and that is how to apply these principles to find out God's personal will for my life. But I need to tell you, young people, that if you don't care about God's moral will, you can just forget about God's personal will. If you are not concerned about knowing and understanding and living inside the parameters of God's moral will, forget his personal will because you're going to mess it all up. Because the key to success in God's personal will for your life is to maintain a commitment of surrender to his moral will. The chaos and the hurt, the frustration, the confusion and the pain that many people live with daily, always, and then I caught myself and I I thought maybe I could think of a couple circumstances, almost always begins with a decision made outside of the moral will of God. If you're sitting here today and you are in confusion and you are in chaos and your life is crumbling and the joints are coming apart and everything's coming unglued and the wheels are falling off, you can almost always track it to a point in your life where you can look back where you stepped outside of the moral will of God. And now you're wondering why the personal will of God is not unfolding in your life. You've got to back up and you've got to take care of business with God first. Oh, we have biblical models for this. How much better, though, would be the joy of obedience is what goes in that bottom blank. How much better would be the joy of obedience? And let me remind you again, God is not out to ruin your good times. And people say, oh, the Bible is just full of old list of rules and all kinds. Listen, the Bible is that is God's moral will for your life. An example would be young people in Ephesians 6, 1, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother that it might go well with you on this earth, even living a longer life. You say, I don't care what my dad says. Well, then you don't care what God says. So don't tell me that you care about the moral will of God 
Don't care. Don't tell me you care about the personal will of God for your life if you don't care about the moral will of God. We have a problem with this, by the way, in River City here. In church world and evangelicalism, our young people are becoming very schismatic. We are becoming very good at compartmentalizing our lives to where we think we have these little deals with God and that we can live like the rest of the world or we can do whatever we want to do. And God has spoken to the point. And things that he condemns, we embrace and we live out. And we rationalize and we think, well, someday, and I'll just count on the grace of God to restore. It's a dangerous way to live. You don't tread on the grace of God. The Apostle Paul said, God forbid to that principle. So, you have an opportunity to date a guy that's not saved or a girl that's not saved or you're in a relationship and they're wanting to become sexually active or you want to get, you wear the group of friends and they want to get drunk or drink and to the point of getting out of control, okay? You don't have to think, you don't have to pray. The answer is no. God already spoke to all of those points. If you're a born-again believer, you don't marry a non-believer. If you um, care about the moral will of God, then you're not sexually active before marriage. God said that's for marriage. It's a timing thing. It's not a perversion thing. It's totally understandable that a man and a woman would want to come together. But it's a timing thing. And God says there's a time and a place and a season. And that's how you receive his blessing. And we do that in all kinds of areas. The illustration that I use on this in my office, when it's appropriate for the right people who are in my office, which is lined with dead animals, is um, I, I point out the window across the field. I point out the... F- Across the field. If you ever get bored in church, take a walk, get a coffee, and go to my office. You'll like it. There's all kinds of cool stuff in there. Just don't take any of it, all right? Without permission. So I point out the window across the field, and I say, what if it's August 12th? And it's just a monster buck out there, and I've got my 270 there, and I decide, bam, I got me a buck, and I'm out there gutting them out and taking care of them. So happy, and the DNR officer walks up. What you doing, man? I said, man, I just saw this great buck. I shot him. It's great. I'm, I'm just so happy. And he puts me in handcuffs, takes my rifle, and fines me for $1,000. So what's your problem? He said, you broke the law. What well, doesn't matter. On the second week of September, I can get my boy out here and he can shoot it. What? 30 days, man, 30 days. It's not a point of whether, it's always a good thing to shoot a nice buck in the fall. It's a timing thing. And God has regulated our lives and God has systems in place. And they're all designed for living out his will and his plan of blessing in our lives. And you can rationalize yourself, rationalize around God's plan all day long. And it will lead to confusion and chaos in God's personal will for your life. Mark it down. So commit to obeying God's moral will. God has spoken and it is written down what to believe and how to live. I've already said all that. The biblical model. How about that Joseph Genesis? We already referenced him. This is where he, he pulls away from Potiphar's wife, this beautiful woman trying to, trying to attack him. He gets out of his jacket and runs as fast as he can because he's afraid of his own weaknesses as a man. And God blesses him even though he ends up in prison. And as opposed to David in 2 Samuel chapter 11 Whereas an old aging king, at a time when kings were to go out to war, he's lingering up on his balcony and he lusts after his neighbor's wife and he commits horrific sin. It causes the death of a child. It causes the murder of her husband. And he's guilty, guilty, guilty. Why? Because he knew, but he violated God's moral will. 
Number three, then, letter C is apply biblical principles to guide your life direction. And we can wrap up quite quickly here. Please be patient. Thank you. Apply biblical principles to guide your life direction. First of all, the downside of this is, and this is the part, this is the one that we could spend another whole sermon on because this is what you care about. Who do I marry? Where do I go to school? Do I buy a Chevrolet? Do I buy a Ford? What do I do? And you got to know, number one, this is not in the Bible. This is not in the Bible, but it is completely directed by the Bible, okay? You have to know your Bible to know God's will. It starts with His moral will. That's why, even as young people, we need to be committed students of the Word of God. That's how He reveals Himself to us. Secondly, there are numerous... This list goes on forever. What I mean by the biblical examples are the fact that that there are tremendous applications of principles that are taught in God's Word that you have to think through and apply to your unique circumstances. So you move into a college dorm, all right, and all kinds of things can happen, and you find out that you're surrounded by people who if you hang around with them, you're going to end up in big trouble and you're not going to make good grades. So what is God's will for your life? Well, 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Don't be deceived. God isn't mocked in any way. Bad company corrupts good morals. And so now you have a principle to work with. Did God say, don't live on the third floor of that hall over there? It's not in the Bible. He didn't even say which campus to live on. But he said, watch out for people with bad morals because they'll take you down the wrong road. Therefore, I know God's personal will for my life is to back away from people with bad morals. Proverbs chapter 22 verse 7 tells us that if you borrow money, you're going to be beholden, you're going to be a servant to a master and the master is the one who lent you the money. Therefore, when you go to buy a house, you go to buy a car and you're praying about God's will, how much money do I have? Do I pay $2,700 for a 2000 Mercury or do I go buy a brand new 2018 Honda Odyssey minivan and, and put the house in hock for it. What do I do here? What do I not really need? But I really like this one. I don't really like this one. Well, what one can you afford? Well, there's all kinds of principles now on money management in Scripture, right? Racking up debt and who I'm going to be beholden to and what it's going to do to impair my decision-making processes for other areas of my life. If I make this decision, what's it going to do down the road in that decision? And furthermore, I have... Um, The goal of my life is to bring my decision-making completely under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And 1 Corinthians 10.31 tells that whether I eat or drink or whatsoever I do, that it would bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ. And that principle alone will be a fence and a guide rail for your life. Am I glorifying God with this or not? I recognize that now we open up a conversation for just all kinds of things. A biblical model would be Daniel, who in chapter 1 had to apply biblical principles and convictions to his life, and he had to decide in a nanosecond that he wasn't going to eat the king's meat, and that he would other change his diet and do a challenge. In chapter 6, when they made a law regulating and putting the death penalty on that you pray to anybody except the king, he had to make a decision. Am I going to change my prayer life? Am I going to change my daily devotional practices? Am I going to change on my personal property? that I open up the shutters and I kneel down at my window and I pray to the living God and he decided I don't change. He's living according to biblical principles. 
finally and related, and if these two bleed together, this whole area of then my daily decisions, we must, young people, we must learn to stabilize our lives with a growing wisdom, a growing wisdom and discernment. This comes from a godly, maturing Christian walk with God. We must learn from godly models and mentors. You're not the first person to live life here on this planet. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. So look around and watch what other people are doing. You look at Lonzo Puller and say, that man knows how to take care of an old Buick and keep it shiny. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pay cash for an old Buick and keep it shiny. I'm going to learn from Lonzo Puller. He's going to be a mentor. You're going to come by Pastor Van's house and catch him by surprise with his garage door open. And you're going to say, I'm never going to have my garage like that. Then people can break down the door and steal and it takes them three weeks to figure out what they stole because there's too much stuff in there. You see, I, I can learn by not doing and I can learn by doing and I'm learning by mentoring and I'm learning. And then I made some mistakes. I thought I was making good decisions and I made some mistakes and I learned from my mistakes. And that's why at 29, you ought to be able to make better decisions than at 19 and at 39 than 29. And it's amazing the number of people who walk in my office with gray in their hair and they're making the same, same mistakes they've been making ever since they were 17 years old. Got to learn, be wise, grow in godliness. And don't forget common sense. Don't forget common sense. Young people, make it your goal to grow in wisdom and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus so that you can make wise choices in your life. Don't make up foolish stuff. This is what I mean by common sense. I don't think I said it in this room, in this room yet, but it was in this room but two other services and I can't remember what I said. And talk about the, the lady that wanted to go to Israel on a tour. She was reading the brochure before she went to bed at night, and it said they were going to have a 747 plane that they were going to ride on. She didn't know whether she should do this. She didn't really have the money. She was kind of scared to go to the Middle East. She's always wanted to go to Israel. And uh, she went to bed praying about it, woke up in the morning, looked at her clock, and it was 747. And she said, that's it. It's God's will for me to go to Israel. That's nonsense. That's not common sense. That's nonsense. Don't make up stuff. Don't rationalize. All right, here's the discerning God's will model, and I expect some of you to work this up and make it better. All right, I'm not really happy with my chart completely, but here we are. Here we are, and we're going to end on the discerning God's will chart. It starts with, has God spoken on the matter? This is kind of a review of what we talked about today. Has God spoken? The answer is yes, whatever it is I'm wanting to do. All right? Whatever it is somebody's trying to get me to do or I'm trying to make a decision, has God spoken? If he's spoken, then it's settled. It's non-negotiable. It is non-negotiable. And that's what I've been saying. You don't even have to pray about it. You don't have to pray about it if God's already spoken. He already meant what he said. But if God has not spoken on the matter and the answer is no, are there biblical principles to follow? And if the answer is yes, then you better pray and you better read and you better list them and you better clarify them and then make your decision and don't look back. Let God show you what's best. You're not going to make 100% right decisions every time, even when you try and submit to God's will because we're flawed humans. Are there biblical principles to follow? Yes, well, if it's not clear then you have to ask yourself, am I informed about this matter? Do I really know what goes on on the third floor of the, of the hall, on the university campus up there? Do I really know what I'm getting into? Am I really informed? 
Am I seeking godly counsel? People have been there and gone on before me. Do I have a clear conscience if I participate in this? Are my motives pure or am I indulging the flesh? Am I truly surrendered to Christ in this matter? And the list could go on and on. And if the answer is yes, then decide with no anxiety. You don't have to stress out or be afraid of missing God's will. You follow that. So there it is. God's sovereign will. You can't mess it up. God's moral will. The Bible pays the most attention to that. If you don't care about the moral will, you really don't care about God's personal will. And the way to find success with God's personal will, and even to the point of making wise, godly, daily decisions, is to be living out effectively God's moral will. And then learning from those around you. Well, it is a huge topic. Young people, the Lord bless you. Let's stand as a congregation. And let's be dismissed by prayer. God bless you as you go. Even before I pray, though, I'm concerned. I'm concerned about the people, the young people. You know you're violating God's revealed will. Would you take care of that right now? And ask God to give you the strength to get back on track and then to see his plan of blessing unfold in, your, in his personal will for your life as you obey his moral will. And maybe you need to cry out and be saved today and admit your sinfulness and ask God to cover you with the blood of Christ that cleanses you from all sin. Admit your sinfulness. Believe that Jesus is the Christ. Become a new creation in Christ. So, Father, would you allow your Holy Spirit now to make application throughout the week as we're mowing the lawn or driving or washing dishes, falling off to sleep, would you bring these things to mind and begin to convict us and show us, teach us, and that we would have the conviction that one day in your courts are better than a thousand elsewhere, and that no good thing will you withhold from those whose walk is upright. We commit ourselves, Lord, to you, to allowing you to sovereignly rule over our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, with thanksgiving. Amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you as you go.